Hey, story seekers, it's Nisha, and you are now listening to Nisha's Open Diary, where the stories are real and the tea is all about me. Hey, story seekers, welcome to Nisha's Open Diary. Today, we're going to be picking up where we left off with the last story time. Once again, we're going to be continuing my series on domestic violence. So I won't hold y'all. Let's get into the story time. The tension in the house was thick. You could hear a pin drop because we were all afraid to breathe, to move, to, to anything. It was around dinner time, maybe around six something, you know, that prime ideal dinner time. The anxiety was at its peak and the stress was as high as it could be. And for real, for real, who could really sit down and enjoy a meal in an environment like that? My father, like most times, was agitated and was waiting for even the smallest reason to take his frustration out on her or us. We were all walking around that house on eggshells because who knew what might set him off? He was like a ticking time bomb that could explode at a moment's notice. Oh, and yeah, another thing about my father... When he didn't have two things, he was even worse. And those two things were money and weed. So like many other households, we were low income. Money and resources were far and few between. And what we did have was hardly enough to make ends meet. Which meant hell for us because when money was low, things got worse. It only heightened his abusive ways. And on this particular evening... My mother was cooking dinner. We always generated to her no matter what because she felt we felt like she was, I mean, she wasn't technically the only parent in the house, but we were all uncomfortable with him. He wasn't affectionate. He ain't show no love. He ain't, all he knew was abuse. And we were all just kind of generate to the kitchen where she was watching her cook, anticipating when it would be done, you know, seeing if we could help her or, oh my, can I do this or whatever the case. And which apparently irritated him because he would yell at us and tell us to go sit somewhere, down somewhere, stop hanging in the kitchen, so much so that we made up a song about it. Even though it would probably get us beat, we made up hanging in the kitchen. And we would be singing that song. We hanging in the kitchen. We hanging in the kitchen. We used to sing that song all the time because he, he had such a big issue with that. Um, I could still... Remember me and my brother singing that song. And I'm going to ask them when I talk to them if they remember that. Um, we tried to make the best of the situation. We tried to make light of things. Make light of the things that we had to face. And in that moment, of course, we hurried up and got out of that kitchen. We wasn't hesitating. Wasn't no back talk. It's, he said, get out of there. We was getting out because we knew what it meant otherwise. So, basically, we left that kitchen abruptly. Okay? Because... We knew that that could turn, any, anything could turn into some, some beatings. And then what you think going to happen with her when she tried to step in to save us? And as he said, we went in there and we sat in the living room with him, still as statues, scared to move. He was watching TV and we was all fearful of making a move, a sound, breathing wrong, looking wrong, anything. It was the end of the month, which meant... Food was low, money was low, resources was low. They ain't have no money. He ain't had no weed. And therefore, that created him being even more unhappy. And so, that meant that things were, the environment was even more tense. 
can you imagine uh, how he is when he's unhappy versus the times that he supposedly we going along from the day to day, which when he, I would think he would be happier. But it, honestly, if I'm being real, never seemed like he was happy. And I know my mother was miserable. But however, some time passed and finally I hear my, my mother's voice was like a beacon of light to get, get out of that living room with him. Because finally we hear her say, y'all can eat. And we all run into the kitchen. We sit at the table. And in this kitchen, the way this house was built up, the kitchen was connected to the dining room. But it was connected by like a bar, a two-sided bar where one side was on the kitchen and the other side was on the dining room. But over the top, it had these, the kitchen cabinets was connected. Like on, on the kitchen side, it was glass kitchen cabinets that went across. And then the bar bar part down there, you could see through there or whatever. Somebody else could be on like on the other side sitting on the bar stools with their side up there isn't cabinets. It's just like the wall or whatever. And so the kitchen table was up against the bar side in the kitchen, the way the kitchen was made up. And so we all went in there. And you'll see why I'm telling you about how that's made up a little bit later on um so we all get to the table or whatever and um my mom is fixing everyone's food and she finally finishes up fixing everybody's plates put everything at the table or whatever so but still just imagine how uneasy you are when your stomach is always in knots and you're always tense and always feeling queasy and nauseous and upset or sick to the stomach because you're a ball of nerves all the time and it's all due to the fact that you don't feel safe with with the one of the people that brought you into the world because you're never it's always an uncertainty you're always unsure never knowing what's going to happen next and i can't speak for anybody else that was in the house my three brothers or my mother but i know how i felt and i felt that way more times than not i say 99% of the time i felt that way and i might have a little bit of relief when i'm at school but then again, think about me sitting at school at my desk and I'm thinking I still have that, 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 that feeling in my stomach because I know as I'm looking at the clock in the classroom, that, that little bit of relief that I feel is coming to an end when that bell rings at 3.30, dreading having to go home. And that night I just could tell. I could tell this before it was over, something was going to happen. So after my mother was done getting us settled, getting us eating and everything or whatever she walks to the living room door and as me and as quiet as a mouse she says ray you want me to fix your plate and he said yeah and she came back in the kitchen and proceeded to fix his plate we were having salisbury steak mashed potatoes and broccoli that sounded pretty all right to me i mean it was just a basic weekday dinner nothing special i mean it was good but it was nothing really special about it but it sounded good enough. It was good enough for me. Um, but I guess it wasn't good enough for him because maybe that's not what his palate was craving. Who, who knows? But she goes in the living room. She gives him his food. And right after, she don't want to hang around in there with him either. So she comes back in the kitchen with us and she's just standing there smoking a cigarette and biting her nail. And I said to her, Ma, you ain't eating? She said, no, nah, y'all eat. She looked so worried, so timid, so nervous. And this was all the time. Jumpy, real jumpy. And before long, my father came in the kitchen and said, bitch, I don't want this shit. Threw the whole plate upside the wall. Plate is broken in half, sliding down the wall, food everywhere, all behind the stove, all over, 
over the uh, floor and everything. And as you can imagine, what, what, how do you think we're feeling in that moment? And I will never forget the color of those walls due to that incident. And I haven't lived in that house in years. I haven't lived in that house since I was in middle school. And the walls were yellow. And I'll ne like a canary yellow, I will never forget. And after that, my mother, she was trying to, you know, ask him like, she's trying to ask him like, what's wrong? And, you know, trying to be submissive, I would guess, in her meek tone, trying to, you know, avoid another beating, I guess. But he grabs her like by the side of her neck, like in a basically like choking her like kind of like around her neck but about a collarbone a little bit that kind of like a side choke i guess and he starts beating her up punching all the, the norm and she's saying ah ray i didn't do nothing and what's wrong and this that and the third or whatever and i hate to hear her talk like that and cower in fear of him like that it really pissed me off but because he was always attacking her for next to nothing and like many times before he's punching her mind you this is all going on while we're at the kitchen table trying to eat to the point to where dinner was over because he picked her up and those glass cabinets that i spoke about earlier on he threw her into those cabinets the kitchen table was knocked over our plates were on the floor and food was everywhere as we had, we had moved into the dining room area that was connected to the kitchen and we're in the doorway and stuff. And again, we're crying, upset, not knowing what to do. And the cabinets were broken, glasses all over the place. And I just remember him telling us to go upstairs. Again, we're in our rooms, scared to death until a little bit after that, we hear her run upstairs. She goes in the bathroom and slams the door behind her and locks the door. And he was still downstairs. Because I remember seeking out into the hallway, trying to check on her and seeing the light under the bathroom door. And I asked her if she was okay. But out of fear, I was scared as hell because I didn't know if he was going to come up there on all of us or what. Or what he was doing down there. Um, because he has this, this shotgun that he kept behind the couch downstairs. And that was always the, a huge threat because he would, he would pull that thing out and ask us on just random times who wanted to die with him like what the <laughs> yeah that's a whole nother story but um so i laid down on the floor so i could get a better look into the bathroom but all i could really see was her feet and her shoes and the scrub pants she was supposed to wear to work that night because she worked 11 to 7 because she was a stna and she actually worked as a stna but she had a degree in mental health so like she worked at like a group home for like mentally disabled people and stuff who have those type of issues or whatever. And um, I'm whispering under the door, mom, you okay? And she told me to go back in my room because I already know that she's trying to protect me from getting beat if he come up there and catch me trying to check on her. I go back in my room, but I'm listening. And for a while, she did not come out of that bathroom for a long time. And after so long, he came up there. I guess he came to check on her like he really gave a fuck and see what was what she was doing or whatever. And I hear more commotion and more arguing and more you know, of a verbal exchange because he can't get to her at the moment because the door is locked. And so she was yelling through the door how she was done. She couldn't do it no more. And, and she was going to end it all by taking a bottle of pills. I don't know what exactly the pills were. I don't know if it was aspirin or what exactly they were or whatever. Um, she took the whole bottle and asked as he's cussing her out outside the bathroom door, we sit in our rooms listening to all of this. And finally, after there was no longer a response to him, he says, you been not down, you stupid bitch. 
And then he breaks the door so he can get in there. And next thing you know, he must have called 911 because EMTs responded to the house. And his attitude, his whole demeanor, his whole how he is, his whole aura, none of that changed when they came. He didn't give a fuck, okay? He continued on as he was. After he let him in the house, they're asking him questions, which again, he was very bothered and agitated by like he wasn't up for answering their questions. He ain't got the time. And they're asking, and he tell them like, I ain't got time for this shit. Like they're asking him simple stuff like, what's her name? What did she take? And he is very fucking rude to them. Almost like he, he ready to get it in with them. Whoever got a problem with whatever, he ready to beat their ass too. And... Um, he's telling them to hurry up, get, get this bitch out of here. Y'all taking this bitch, go on and take her, get her the fuck out of here. And he did not care. And, and don't you think, for some reason, I still question this to this day. When these people and these type of encounters happen, why didn't they say, why didn't they, why didn't they call the police? Like, why didn't they report it? Like, something. But it... But the one thing I can say in defense of the EMTs, they they had to have seen that that was like a very crazy environment. But in their defense, I'll say they probably didn't call the police or report nothing or whatever because number one, knowing my mother, she taught, asked them not to. But if we were seen, if they would have seen us, the kids, I think they probably would have because they would have been like, this is not the environment for no kids or whatever. They probably would have um, contacted appropriate authorities or whatever because Again, we were upstairs, so they probably didn't even know we was... I don't know. We was in our room, so I'm just going to chalk that up to that. Um, But uh, he just gave them all kind of like aggressive energy. And now I cannot speak for my brothers or my mother. I can't speak for nobody but me. My world was crashing down at that moment. Because from my perspective, now we're going to have to be here with him. Oh, my God. Like, what now? Like... What's going to happen with my mother? Is she going to be alive? Is she going to die? Like, is she okay? Like, what? Because who was going to answer these questions that I have? Like, and so she's gone. They took her to the hospital. And day in and day out, we was there with him, living in fear of him, wishing and hoping our mother is coming home, wishing and hoping our mother is okay, wishing and hoping our mother is not dead. And he don't care. He ain't called that hospital not one time. He ain't try to go up to no hospital. He ain't try to... Find out what's going on with her nut. But I'll tell you what he was doing. And I'll tell you how everything was going. Because the thought of being raised by him was terrifying. And every single day we sit up listening to him. Knowing she in the hospital. Knowing everything that happened. He don't give a damn. Listening to him tear her down. At every turn. Talking about how she ain't shit. How she an alcoholic. How she this. How she that. Nothing. Never anything positive. And you know we don't want to hear this, but you think we're going to actually tell this man that? Now he's engaging us more because she's not there. So who you think going to get beat down? So you can't show no kind of care for her. You can't say, well, daddy, I love my mother or any of that. Oh, you love that bitch? Like, it would have been real bad. You can't show no affection, no care that you care about. Because he's asking crazy stuff like... You care about your mother? You care if that bitch dead or not? That type of stuff. And you are a child and you don't know how to respond. You don't know what to say to that. You got to act like you don't give a fuck about her. Because if you act like you give two cares about her, it's up. I'm going to leave that. And so he's saying all this negative stuff about her. And you don't know what to do. You just stuck in a situation that you don't know. What, when, where, how. And... 
finally, after about a week, one evening, my mother came home. And again, it's around dinner time, that prime time. So it don't matter because no matter what, you're feeling sick to the stomach all the time, every day, nervous, all that anyway. And uh, I'm going to stop right there for a second and just, just tell y'all like a few little things or whatever. Like, because of all of this going on, like in my childhood and stuff, like I was always just like nervous. Like always just nervous. Like, do you know that the better part of my life, I've always bitten, bite my nails because that was a coping mechanism for me. I, when I tell y'all, I know a lot of people just bite their nails just because, I don't know, whatever their reason may be. But for me, I used to bite my nails so much. I used to bite my nails down so far that they would be hurting and bleeding. And then when that wasn't enough, the skin around my nails, even to this very day, I bite the skin around my nails like it's nothing. Like, I'm biting my own skin off. Like, what? <laughs> but to me it's soothing and the only time that I don't bite my nails down like that and bite the skin around there is when I go to the nail salon and I get a full set put on and the only reason I ain't doing it then is because I kind of can't because the nails be too long for me to really get to it and then once I get so tired of them nails or sometimes I just bite the nails off because I need to get back to my coping and I need to and I, like, I don't know why but I was just throughout my entire childhood, my stomach was just a ball of anxiety and a ball of nerves and just, I just bit my nails just to comfort me, I guess. And um, I just never understood why he could do something like that. So she came home that evening and it was around dinner time. And again, me and my brothers is around that same kitchen table. And he had cooked. And it was burgers and fries that day. And I'll never forget that because he burnt the he burnt them burgers up. Okay. And you don't want the food. And we had been trying having to eat his cooking that whole week or whatever. I don't know. I'm just saying a week. I don't really know how long, but you're not going to tell that man that you don't want that food because you know what it means. Like anything, like you're not saying that. So you eating that food and you trying to eat this burnt up, dried up hamburger and stuff because you don't want to, you don't want to take no chances. And why, why should it have to be like that with the man that, that helped bring you into the world? And um, you don't want to tell him you don't want it. So I did my best to get it down, did my best to eat it. And it was pretty much like that for each day that she was in the hospital. He definitely wasn't a good cook. So as soon as she came in the door, I was so happy to see her. I was overjoyed at the fact that my mother actually was alive. And even though, um,
Because every day, not knowing what had happened, not knowing if she was going to make it through, was so hurtful. And it still hurts to this day. And as she walks into the kitchen, she walked into the kitchen and as soon as she walked into the kitchen, she hadn't even been in the house for five, five good minutes before he said to her, and we all just looking, probably as big as saucers, because we'd be like, oh boy, what, what's, what's going on now? He said to her, you finally laying up on your, you finally finished laying up on your fucking ass, bitch. Just like, he got to be, you, you, you can't be serious. And you have no reservations about saying that in front of your own kids to their mother. No reservations at all. Are you done laying up on your funky ass, bitch? <laughs> if it wasn't for you, she wouldn't have never been in the hospital in the first place. And, uh, he just tried in every way to let her know that without him, she's nothing. She ain't gonna be nothing. She can't do nothing. She, just nothing. She let her know. It, he let her know that you ain't nothing. Just try her best but it was really the opposite way around you ain't nothing without her you wouldn't even have a car if it wasn't for her like what are you talking about and uh she once again she was like depleted her voice was always so meek so oh she just always seemed like so exhausted like so just fed up just over just having no fight in her just just submissive so much so so that she could try to avoid she, like she did everything she could to try to Let him know that she ain't want no smoke. But it didn't matter what she did because he was bringing the smoke and he was going to find any way to bring the smoke for any reason, valor or not, to get at her. And um, she replied and said, yeah, Ray, just going along with whatever his things was, whatever, whatever he was feeling, whatever he said, she just trying to agree with him to avoid anything. And, yeah, like I said, basically trying to avoid a confrontation. And she was still wearing them same scrubs she was supposed to wear to work that night. And now I'm wondering, like, what's up with her job? Like, I wonder what her job was thinking and stuff. Because clearly, with everything that happened, she was a, well, I'm pretty sure she wasn't able to call them. So, that's called a, a, a no call, no show. So, I'm like, wondering, do she even still got a job at this point? Like, I know her job wonder was good. Um, but she was still wearing them scrubs she was supposed to wear to work that night. And she, my mother used to have this dark green leather jacket. It had like 
these wooden buttons the way they like latched in. I, I never forget that jacket. And it had a hood on it. And she had taken a cab home from the hospital because he showed it and go pick her up. He ain't even never called over there, try to go see her, none of that. So you think he was going to pick her up in a car that she paid for? No, she took a cab home. I'm sure she probably didn't want to ride with him anyway. But then for some reason, after that night, things was kind of mellow for a little bit. And when I say a little bit, don't get it twisted. I mean like as in <laughs> a few weeks, like two to three weeks, maybe. Because guess what time it was? It was the first of the month. You cash a check every month. You know that song by Bone Thugs and Harmony when they talk about how everybody be waiting for the first of the month to get their welfare checks and their benefits? Yeah, it was that time. Because that meant a little bit of relief financially. As my mother received her benefits or food stamps and whatever other benefits she was receiving from public assistance, and he would take a portion of those benefits and he would sell them to get cash money, which in turn, what? Made him able to get the things that made him happy, which was two things I told y'all. He was able to get some money when he sold the food stamps and he was able to buy him some weed and he was feeling some little bit of happy times. And even when you there and you engaging with him when he's supposedly happy, you still just like, You just looking like, really? Like, you scared to get happy with him. You scared to do anything because you know that who he really is. And so when he happy in that moment, you're not celebrating happy with him. you just looking at him like, it's almost like everybody just had a blank stare. Like, don't get too happy. Don't, don't do nothing. Though. Like, you don't know how to take him. And everybody's kind of got blank stares and like, like a little... You smizing through your teeth like you don't really want to smile like you don't really like we don't fuck with you like what um so so him being able to get the things that made him happy made for a, a happier household made even in those few weeks or whatever until they ran out it, it gave us a little bit of relief and because you knew that uh, finally eventually the end of the month was going to come and it was just going to be right back to, nor to normal um, so why get excited for real and as the end of the month grew closer The money and the resources were sparser and it caused more anger, tension, and abusive encounters and unhappiness. And so he would be less abusive for short, short spurts, but never really completely not abusive because he was that way 24-7. But when he was in a good mood, things weren't as bad. Um, so... He was good for that short time until the next incident. And in that time when he felt happy and all that and you felt like you could kind of be at ease, you, you were never really at ease. And at that time, I was snooping around. 
because I was looking for them pictures that they took of my mother in the hospital because um, when he beat her up that night, she had a black eye. I mean, her eye, her eye was so fat and so black and so close and everything that it looked like some, it looked like you could peel that black off. My mother's high yellow, like a red, red bone as they call them. She was high yellow and her eye was, oh my God. Clothes shed, black as like black, black, black. And I stole those pictures. And I stole the pictures because I'm thinking like, who I'm gonna take these pictures to? Who I'm gonna show these pictures to? How am I gonna get some help for us? Cause I, I'm tired, like I'm fed up. And I was just trying to figure it out. So I hid them in my room, but I'm always in the back of my mind fearful of what if he go off one day, he come in here and toss my room up and he, and he find these pictures. It's just, I, I was so scared of that. But I, nonetheless, yes, I hid them pictures in my room, sitting on them, trying to figure out what to do with them. And things continued on as they normally did. And many more incidents occurred after that. And with each incident, it just made me feel so much more distant towards him. So much more resentment towards him. So much more anger towards him. Just total dismay. Like, even though he's my father, it really turned my supposed to be love into hate. And the complete opposite for my mother. Because don't get me wrong, I don't claim to have been a perfect child at all, but I do know that even over the years, um, when he wasn't in our life, it just made me care for her more. It made my love for her grow stronger. It made my admiration for her stronger, seeing as how strong of a woman she had to be to put up with all his nonsense. And, um, I just hate that now in present day, my mother, mind you, my mother is not even here with us no more. She passed away in 2010. And um, I kick myself all the time because even after he wasn't in our life, I'm like, you know, all kids at some point, they get smart with their mother. They do stuff they shouldn't do. And at this point in my life, I'm just so appreciative I'm so grateful and I'm so, I'm just so, I just appreciated her for being a mother she was because I don't have one of them stories where my mother was on drugs, my mother was a bad person or she this or she that. My mother worked her butt off. She did everything she a mother supposed to do. And now at this point in my life, I wish she was here so I could just tell her thank you. I appreciate you. I love you. Because when she was here, I didn't do that kind of stuff. I, I was just so, I guess, full of myself. Just caught up with life. Caught up in my own stuff. And I didn't show her the appreciation I should have showed her. 
and you never feel this and you don't understand this type of stuff until you know you start getting older and stuff and you don't understand this stuff but with each year that I got older I started understanding stuff more and I, and then when I got into relationships and I'm going through stuff with guys I understand it completely now and I just wish that I could just have a moment with her to tell her how much I love her how much I appreciate her and I ain't gonna never I'm never gonna have that chance because I feel like a lot of her her abuse that she put up with I think she put out put up with it for us because she will always want to be in a relationship where you want to try to make it work for the kids type of thing and all that and I just and I'm just sorry she ever had to go through any of that. And I just wish that I could just have one more moment with her. One more moment with her. To give her her flowers and show her how much she was truly appreciated and loved. And unfortunately, I'm in a situation where I didn't think to do that until after she was dead. And now, that's something I'm just never going to be able to do. And things continued on this way. Many more incidents occurred after this one. If you want to hear how the story ends up, keep tuning in as I tell these story times. I would like to thank you for listening to Nisha's Open Diary, where the stories are real, authentic, and the tea is all mine. Tune in to my next episode where I will be continuing this series on domestic violence and I will be talking about the time my mother was planning to kill my father and we were going to be her accomplices. All right, story seekers, that does it for this story time. I'm out of here until next time. Make sure you tap in. Follow me on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook at Nisha's Open Diary and also my website, at Nisha's Open Diary. Podbean. I'll see you where the pen meets the diary. Until next time. <laughs>